Well, good evening, my wonderful saints and friends. Welcome to Bible Study Live, both in person in the building as well as online. So we're grateful to have you with us. It's always wonderful to share the Word of God and to see your lovely faces, whether online or in the building. So it's always a wonderful time. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We love you. We honor you and we appreciate you, God. We thank you for everyone who's tuned in, as well as those who will tune in, as well as those who are here, as well as those who will watch the rebroadcast. We ask that you would just illuminate all of us, God. Encourage us. Allow your word to permeate our hearts, our spirits, our mind, and our whole being. And God, we give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we did on Sunday, we piggyback off of elect ladies' Uh, sermon attached and assigned. And so that kind of stayed with me. And I started off by saying this. We learned last week that we should stay attached to the assignment. But today we need to talk about the forces of detachment. So we talked uh, last week extensively about what it means to be attached, why we should be attached and one of the major reasons is because we have an assignment. So we talked about the assignment. So uh, we were encouraged to stay connected, stay uh, attached. And we've seen uh, several people who did that. But I wanted to bring up the other side of it, which is the detaching. And so uh, when people detach, it's not always just because they wanted to or they set it out to detach. Some people uh, attach and then just detach haplessly. Other people, they detach because there's forces against them and they don't know how to handle that. So I wanted to talk about those things, those forces of darkness. And so as we defined attached last week, we want to define detached this week. So detach is to disengage something or part of something and remove it or to leave or separate oneself from a group or place. So we basically were talking about not disengaging, uh, whether fully in total or uh, partially. Some people are attached in uh, theory, but they're disengaged or detached at the core of who they are. In other words, they still come to church. They still say the church lingo, the Christian things, but at the core of who, who they are, they have been consistently detaching and pulling away or being pulled away. And that's something that we don't want to do. And then uh, to leave or separate oneself from a group or place. Now, normally that is the more visible detachment where they just stop coming to church altogether. They stop connecting. You wonder, hey, where, where, are, where are you? Where have you been? And they don't say, well, I've been at this church. I feel more comfortable at this place. No, they don't have any uh, reason. They're just like, well, I haven't been going anywhere. I've been trying to sort things out, trying to figure things out. It's usually a sign that they've been detached, they've been disengaged, and to the point where they're separated, they're removed. And uh, that's always uh, worrisome for me. I always remember uh, several years ago when they had the D.C. snipers, and uh, there was an older black man and a younger black man who were going through D.C., and they were uh, shooting people uh, from their car. And they were trying to figure out what was going on, why it was happening, and finally were able to apprehend them. But one of the, the uh, key points about it was they were waiting till people were isolated. They were finding people at gas stations pumping the gas. 
in isolated incidences, separated from crowds. They weren't shooting into crowds. They were getting people where they're isolated, and they were just picking them off in, in a uh, evil, horrific, and strategic manner. And always remind me of, of Satan's practices. He likes to get you isolated, separated, and then he's going to try to take you out. And so the detachment doesn't end in detachment. It usually ends in ruined destiny, broken dreams. And so that's why we are very uh, vigilant about being attached versus detached. Let's give us some synonyms to see what that looks like. Uh, abandon. Uh, what about people who've abandoned the faith, abandoned what they believed, they've disassociated? Uh, another thing that we see, uh, you see it a lot on social media, it's something called deconstruction, which there's nothing necessarily wrong with deconstruction until it causes you to be detached. What deconstruction is, is they begin to look at what they've been taught about Christianity and the holes in it and some of the issues with it, and they begin to deconstruct or tear it apart. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that if you're going to reconstruct your faith. But a lot of people are deconstructing and totally leaving the faith altogether, especially a lot of uh, the younger generation. So you, you don't want to do that to the point where you detach. There's nothing wrong with really um, really reframing your faith and, and learning more things from what you were taught. Some of the things that we were taught, they, they were, we were taught the best that they knew how at the time. And we learned that maybe it wasn't altogether the scripture that we thought was out of context but that didn't mean you deconstruct and detach all the way from God. That, that's not the goal. The goal of deconstruction is to reconstruct, but some people aren't doing that. They are wholeheartedly just leaving the faith, and that's uh, quite problematic. So abandon, disassociate, uh, divorce, uh, disconnect, leave, loosen, move off, remove, separate, segregate, split. Uh, some churches go through what we call a church split. Things are being split up, and it's a, a detachment of the love of a community, a communal relationship with God, and then it's all split up. Unfasten, uncouple, untie, unhitch, walk away from. And that's the key I wanted to focus on is just the walking away from. So we have to be very careful of the things that are trying to get us to walk away from God altogether. We can... Uh, uh, we can marginalize it and minimize it to little things and pinpoint things here and there, but we can just generalize it and say walking away from God. We, there shouldn't be anything so tough and so harsh that makes us just totally walk away from God, leave our faith. Nothing wrong with losing your religion because it shouldn't be about religion. It should be about relationship. So if you lose a little religion and gain more relationship, that's fine. But if you lose so much that you totally walk away from God, we never believe God walks away from us. We have to choose to walk away from him. And so what are the forces that are trying to get us to walk away from God, to abandon, to all those other words? And we can simplify it by saying detach. So what causes us to attach, which we learned last week, but what causes us to detach? And if we can look at that, then we can kind of uh, pinpoint it, see what it is and avoid being detached. So to sum it all up and to make it uh, simple and to use closely the, the uh, similar alliteration that my mother used to do something similar, I came up with this phrase, attacked and assaulted. So going from attached and assigned to attacked and assaulted. 
So that's normally what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying to attack us and assault us to the point where we move away from God, walk away from God, divorce God, separate, disengage, detach. Well, the interesting thing about that is God is so strategic that he actually uses the attack and the assault to actually grow us, better us, and cause us to become more attached. So he doesn't always move in and stop the attacks and stop the assaults because they can work in his favor for us. We just have to know that. We just have to understand and get it through our thick skull that with the assignment of being attached comes assaults, attacks. Well, what kinds of attacks? Attacks on our health. When your health is attacked, it can be very challenging. Uh, it, it can mess with your faith, attack on your, your finances, attack on your relationships, uh, attack on um, your marital status, whether you were married and you uh, lose that relationship or you're unmarried and it, there doesn't seem to be any type of uh, relationship on the horizon, um, mental health, all those things are a part of the attack and the assault. What is interesting is that attack and assault, it happens against the whole world because uh, Satan and his uh, demonic forces, they don't like anyone on the world, in the world, or on the earth because we are created in the image of God. Uh, the phrase that you would use for that is the Imago Dei, which is the image of God. We are created in the image of a deity, and that deity is God. We are the Imago Dei. So when Satan sees us, we look like God, whether we're serving him or not. So you could be serving Satan, and Satan still doesn't like you because you look like God. You were created in the image of God, and you carry the breath of God. So there is an all-out attack, and there is an all-out assault. So what do we do with that? All right, let's uh, go to Matthew eleven twelve from the King James Version. It states it this way, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. King James, look at it in the New Living. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, Jesus is actually speaking in this uh, particular passage, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. So we underlined suffering and we underlined attacking. And Matthew eleven twelve amplified, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault. Now we have suffering, attack, and assault. And violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. So a couple things there. One of the things that it first shows us is that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it actually started the moment John the Baptist came and John the Baptist began to start his ministry and say that there's another one coming behind me. In, I believe, Daniel, uh, I wasn't going to go here, so I'm not for sure exactly where, but there's, there's a prophet, I believe Daniel, but it could have been another one of the prophets. They talk about the kingdom of God. They talk about how there basically was a small pebble that came into the earth, and then that small pebble grew and grew and grew until it became an entire mountain that filled up the earth. And so that was the representation of the kingdom of God. In other words, it came small, 
but the goal is at the end, it is the thing that takes over everything. So right now we're in the kingdoms of this world, but they are steadily giving away to the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God is started at when John the Baptist came. So it started very small. And we even see that uh, John the Baptist was beheaded simply because he was telling the truth, telling the earthly king, you shouldn't be sleeping with your brother's wife and you shouldn't have took her and, and all that. And then the next thing you know, he gets his head uh, chopped off. He gets locked up, his head chopped off. So it looks like the kingdom of this world was winning. But over time, there was a shift. And now we are in where the kingdom of God is still advancing and so going back to that last one, and from the days of John the Baptist is now the kingdom of heaven, it suffers violent assault. So the kingdom of darkness does not like the kingdom of heaven, and there's always an assault, a violent assault. But then it says, and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. And so there is two types of violence. There's a violence against us, but then there is a violence not necessarily against what's against us, but there's a violence against losing that which is a precious prize, which is the kingdom of heaven. And so what happens is once you realize what this is, what is promised to us, what the covenant says to us, what God has done for us, how he offered up his life for us, you vitally lay hold to that. You grab it and attach to it violently not to let it go. It seems like that we would fight violence with violence. So since the kingdom of earth sometimes is against us, that we would go out and we would fight the way it fights us. And that's exactly what Peter thought when Jesus was arrested. Pulled out his sword. He cuts off uh, the servant of the high priest's ear. His name is Malchus. He cuts his ear off. And Jesus was like, my kingdom is not about that. Picks up the ear, puts it back on his head and heals him. Very confusing. Like, we're supposed to fight violence with violence. But Jesus said, my kingdom is different. We are violent in a different way. And yes, there is an assault and attack against us, but our violence is to attach to God even the more, attached to the things of God, like love, forgiveness, faith, joy, hope. We're, we are yet violent, but we're seizing the kingdom in a different way. And so it can be uh, quite confusing if you're looking at it from the natural. But when you look at it from the spiritual, it makes so much sense because what we're doing, we're grabbing hold of, we're attaching to our assignment. Our assignment is to be God in the earth, to usher his kingdom in. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're not trying to fight people because our fight is not against people. We're, it's not saying that we don't defend ourselves, but that's not our focus. Our focus is to grab hold of the things that God is showing us, and he's showing us things like love. And so we work on that. When we talked about better Christians, we talked about how it's so much easy for us to just become bitter. But instead of becoming bitter, we grab hold into becoming better. And bettering ourselves is not always something that is outwardly seen but we are violently bettering ourselves because we're trying to seize hold of the kingdom. I can be a better husband. I can be a better pastor. I can be a better leader. Or I can shriek back with all the crap I've had to deal with and just say, man, forget it. It's too hard. No, instead, instead I'm violently going after being the better person, trying to love, trying to live in a way that 
actually is a blessing to other people. I'm trying to gain more, not for me, so that I can bless more people. I can encourage more people. But over time, as we see people who have lived this way, we see the great difference that they've made. We see the Martin Luther Kings, and we see the Mother Teresas, and we see the Nelson Mandelas, and we see how they could have reacted violently in our terms of violence, but they actually were violent against systems and structures and were tearing them down. The civil rights movement began to move because of Martin Luther King. Apartheid began to crumble because of Nelson Mandela. Uh, the, the hunger around the world began to change because of a Mother Teresa. So there is a violence. It's just a different kind of violence. And so another way to, to say it is to put this phrase up here, service and suffering. So in our fight to remain attached and not detach, it requires us to have servant leadership. And because there is an attack and assault against us, it often requires both service and suffering. It requires us to actually go through something. And when we understand it, we can navigate what we're going through, understanding that there is an end goal, there's an end game, no pain, no gain. So when you're working out or when you're dieting or whatever you're trying to do for a goal, I got a gold dress that I'm trying to get into, a gold suit, or I want my muscles to look a certain way, I want my abs to be a certain way. We understand now because we are mature, we understand that that goal is not going to be reached without pain. It's going to cost something and it's not going to feel good, but it creates a discipline. And even in that discipline, it sometimes quells desires. You see people who've reached a certain goal. It's hard for them to go back because their desire have shifted. I don't desire to just sit and eat ice cream all day long because now it makes me sick. Sick. I've changed so much. I was so violently disciplined on what I was doing. I actually changed my nature. And so the suffering I went through, it actually produced something in me that I appreciate. And now I can't go back. And so when we say service and suffering, we're not talking about annihilating yourself in a sadistic way that you're always going after pain. But what it means is I'm always going after serving, serving God and serving people. And if it requires a certain level of suffering, I'm okay with that because I know the suffering won't last always, I'll be able to go through it, get to the other side. And on the other side, I'm going to have a discipline I've gained. I'm going to have a certain fortitude that I've gained. I'm going to have a certain determination. And I'm actually going to be so disciplined, I can be a disciple maker. I can actually lead others. People are going to wonder, how did you get there? You used to be here, now you're there. I want to know more about it. And you're actually able to lead people. So the service and the suffering, it produces something that is powerful in our lives. Looking at Scripture, Matthew 23, 11 through 12, The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, you don't advance by pushing other people down. You actually advance by lowering yourself and serving other people. You, you make sure other people are okay. Other people are taken care of. And in that serving, sometimes you suffer. Sometimes on your job, 
the person who goes out of the way and does the best work is the one they dump the most work on. Instead of making people who should work do more, they just take advantage of the one who does. But many times what happens is you learn how to go through that in such a manner that even people are looking at you to the point where they start appreciating. They may not appreciate you before. They may try to take advantage of you. But at some point, then they realize, especially when you take a vacation day or take a day off, they realize, I can't really do this without them. And so then now when you raise your voice and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm doing it this way. They don't have a whole lot of recourse. They may want to fire you, but they can't fire you because they realize you're the best thing they got going because you did it right. And then, yes, they tried to take advantage of you, but now they're at a place where they need you. They need you bad. And so now your demands are listened to because they can't do it without you. You change the culture of the whole workplace by serving. And when Christians walk in this manner of serving, it's not that we are dumbing ourselves down and allowing ourselves to be a doormat. Jesus was no one's doormat. And when they try to trap him, he used his wisdom and his words. He was always a, a step ahead, but he just showed another way that, no, I'm violently doing it this way because this is the right way. And you're going to see this is the right way. But first thing is, I can't allow what you're doing. I can't allow that to deter me. I'm going to serve. I'm going to even suffer. But then it's going to turn around and you're going to see this is the, the right way. Now, of course, those who've seen it, they, they flocked to Jesus and wanted to follow him. Those who didn't see it, they tried to kill him. Well, actually, they did see it. But then they realized in seeing it, it meant that they were going to lose their power. So they tried to, to kill him. But even in killing him, the scripture says if they knew what they were doing when they crucified the Lord of glory, they never would have done it because that actually advanced him even further. Let's look at how Paul uh, talks to Timothy about it. Second Timothy 3.10. This is Paul's charge to Timothy. Uh, Paul was Timothy's mentor, Timothy being the mentee. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. In other words, see how I've been attached to my assignment. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. So when you see things like patience and uh, faith and love, those are powerful things. So we, we see faith, patience, love. But then he adds endurance. So endurance is a little different than just patience. Patience is similar to endurance, but patience, faith, love. But then when he adds endurance, that means I have to actually go through some things. I have to actually endure some things. And then he becomes even more, uh, uh, what word am I using? He, he, be, he, he paints the picture even more clear and he's more specific. That's the word I wanted to find. He's more specific. So look at how the specificity he goes or the detail. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. So first he said endurance but then he made it really clear, it's persecution and suffering I endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. So he, he gives specific places. But then he says, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. So he never left me in it. He rescued me. Yes, I did have to endure. And yes, I had faith and love and patience, but I had endurance, and the endurance is because I actually had to suffer, and I was persecuted on more than one occasion. Now, 
our persecution is a little different. So when going back to that, uh, that imagery that was talked about the kingdom of God, how it comes as a very small rock, small pebble, and then it grows into a huge mountain. So in the time of Jesus and Paul, it was still a small uh, rock from John the Baptist to Paul. It still was small, but because of Jesus' death, it's growing rapidly. But because of that, because it was small, when they were persecuted, those people that day, they were persecuted with physical death. Jesus died a physical death of persecution. And then many of the others in that day, they were persecuted in a way that resulted in their death, including the Peters, the James, and the Paul. Paul was beheaded, but before that, Paul was beat several times. He was stoned, and so Paul went through it. But because the kingdom of God was advancing rapidly, our suffering is not to that level. We are not expected and anticipated to be stoned for what we believe, to get our heads cut off for what we believe. Now, there are certain uh, Christians in certain uh, lands that are not developed as some of the democracies we live in, and they still have some harsh persecution, but it's not as much as it was initially because things have shifted and changed. So when we are persecuted and we are suffer, suffering, we're not suffering to that level, but we're still going through certain things. It is demonic pressure. Sometimes it's friends leaving us. Sometimes it's relationships. When we be, really begin to go after God, people back away from us. And so, yes, it is a level of suffering, and we suffer on different uh, levels in different places. But we can also put in our mind when we read the Scriptures— of our forefathers and ancestors that they went through way more than we went through. So they went through so we don't have to. One of the things that most parents do, they struggle so that the next generation, meaning their kids, don't have to struggle like they struggle. So yes, we should not be getting beat like Paul and Peter did, Peter crucified upside down. I'm not looking to die being crucified upside down. It should get better as we go because the kingdom is advancing. But that doesn't mean I'm not facing something and going through something. The kingdom has not advanced so much that I don't have to go through anything. Yes, I have to go through things. But when I put it in context of what the people who were before me went through, it gives me hope to say, no, I need to buckle down and keep pressing through because I, I'm not suffering like they suffer. Not just the people in the Bible. When we look as African-American, those of us who are of that race, when we look at our ancestors, the slavery they went through, the picking of cotton, the beating that they went through, I certainly can go through some things in 2023 in honor of what they went through. So actually, when I look at it, I should choose to suffer. You don't want to, but since I have to do it, let me go through it in a mindset of, you know, you know what, I, I want to honor those before me. I want the legacy that was left be, uh, for me. I, I want to live up to that level of legacy. I want to press. I want to do everything that I can do. So I'm okay with it. And why am I okay with it? Let's look at the bottom part of that verse again. Because, but the Lord rescued me from it all. If God rescued Paul under really heavy, heavy persecution, I'm Sure, he could rescue me under, in comparison, my minuscule persecution. So I'm going to put my faith and I'm going to put my hope in the Lord. And so Paul is telling this to Timothy. Now, what we don't see is Timothy suffering the same level that Paul suffered. So it gets less and less. But the problem when it gets less and less, 
sometimes people get lazier and lazier. And we talked about that when we talked about lazy Christians and, and golden opportunity. So just because the, sef- the suffering isn't as severe, we shouldn't get real lazy and just be uh, to the point where we just just lazy. I guess that's the best way to put it. We No, we look at what our people went before us. And sometimes it bothers me to see young black men who won't go get a job knowing we had black men who were ripped from their family. Their wives were raped and they were picking cotton and bailing hay and going through all kinds of stuff and pressed through and persevered and escaped and all kinds of things for us to be in 2023 and be lazy. That shouldn't be us. We should want to do our part to show, hey, I'm grateful for the ancestry ahead of me. And of course, this is Black History Month, so that should really sink in our head. Let's uh, continue to read verse 12. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It is a uh, requirement. It's, uh, it's a prerequisite. It's something that's going to happen. It's of a surety. So it comes with it. So let's just make up in our mind, we're going to have to go through something it's okay. I want to do my part and further advance the kingdom. And I want to, the legacy left in front of me, I want to do my part. I don't want to drop the ball. I want, I want to be looked at that when I had to go through my part, I didn't quit. I didn't give up. I pushed through it. Well, uh, people suffered a lot. I gone through a little bit, but yeah, I lost my father in the middle of my pastorate ministry. I don't want to fold and just be like, oh, I can't do it. I can't make it. No, I want to step up to the challenge and press through and push because there's so much left for me, even including what was left to me from my father. I don't want to quit. I want to advance. I want to make the people around me proud. So, hey, I'm going to go through what I got to go through. Verse 14, but you must remain faithful. You must remain attached to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. So one of the points that is being made is actually the people ahead of you, they suffered way more than you, and they laid it for you, and they taught you everything. Starting off with Jesus, he laid down his life for us, going all the way down through the disciples, all the way up to us. They taught us everything. So we're going to remain faithful. We are not going to detach. There's no reason for us to detach. Oh, yeah, I know I've been through stuff. I know my body's challenged, my money's challenged, my marriage's challenged. But, hey, join the group. Everybody got challenged. Everybody went through something. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take my lumps, take my losses. I'm going to turn my losses into lessons. I'm going to turn my lessons into blessings. I'm going to bless somebody else with what I'm blessed with, and I'm going to move forward, and I'm going to make the devil mad that he ever tried to try me and tried to make me suffer. And I'm going to tell him, just like Joseph told, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for my good. And so guess what? I'm actually going to praise through it. I'm actually going to celebrate. I'm not going to celebrate the bad. But I'm going to celebrate through it. I'm going to put a smile on my face. I'm going to put uh, praise in my mouth. I'm going to I'm going to experience victorious worship. I'm going to worship through the trouble. I'm going to go through it. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to remain attached to the assignment. I'm not going to fold. I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to detach. I'm going to go through it. How am I doing it? Uh, going through what uh, Paul just said, I'm going to do it with service, suffering, and scriptures. In other words, I'm going to look at the pantheon of people I see in the scriptures who've gone through, and I'm going to use that to help me. We call Abraham the father of faith. When we look at Abraham, Abraham was called out of his place to a place 
that he did not know. And God says, I'm going to make your family like the sand on the seashore and like the stars in the sky. So he goes out in faith and then he does not, you don't have any kids. And then he's well up in age. He's been waiting on the promise for 25 years. And then the promise finally comes after 25 years. Yay, it's time to celebrate. But not too long after that, God tells him, go sacrifice your son. What? After all this, now the very thing I've been waiting on, I'm supposed to go and sacrifice. But we look at Abraham and we look at his faith and we see how it all turned out that there was a ram in the bush. But then we go from Abraham to to Moses and then Moses and then then we uh, in, in between Moses, there's Jacob and Joseph and then Moses and you go all the way down to the Samuels, the Davids, come all the way down to Jesus and Paul and the disciples. And then the folk that we know, Bishop so-and-so, Bishop so-and-so in our uh, church, Bishop Clark, Bishop Mitchell, now Pastor Andre. Hey, I've got a whole bunch in the scripture that should show me man, God is going to make it work. He's going to bring us out. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but he delivers us out of them all. I've got so much through the halls of all the people I've gone through. When we look at Hebrews 11, it's known as the hall of faith. It tells us all the people that went through, and then it brings us all up to the present uh, age of that time of that writing of believing and trusting in God. And it lets us know that, hey, we can persevere. Now, here's what's interesting. We often talk about the service, the suffering, the severeness, the challenges, all the things that try to force us to detach, which is what we're talking about now. And it's true. But sometimes we forget to talk about the joy that comes with it. There, there is joy in the journey. There is, there is laughter in the journey. There's praise in the journey. That's why sometimes you'll come to a church service and they're shouting and dancing. It's a high time because it's not just suffering and servitude. It's the presence of the Lord. It's, whoo, man, I felt the spirit. I felt something. Sometimes the messages that I preach just stir you up, light a fire on you. So it is not just all down times and going through dark times. No, God is light and light is life and there's joy. Look, many times there's equal parts of suffering and joy, and many times the joy outlasts the suffering. All my good days outlast my bad days, so I won't complain. So when we put it all together, really, we live a good life. And after this life, we get heaven on top of it, new heaven and new earth. So really, there's no reason for us to quit because really we got it made. Yeah, it's hard at times. But if you look at the overall big picture, we really have it made. And then the scriptures helps us because the scriptures helps us lock in because we see the trouble, but we see also the triumph in the trouble. We see how things turn out. And then when we get all the way to the back of the book, we see how it ends and how beautiful it is. And it talks about uh, a river flowing out from the temple of God. And the leaves on the tree are for the healing of the nations. And every nation, every t tribe, every tongue is praising the Lord. So it's really beautiful when we look at it all so that it really gives us hope. And that's why the scriptures are very important. It actually takes the service and the suffering and helps us make sense with it. That's why we are at Bible study right now, because studying the scriptures gives us strength. The Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So whenever we study the scriptures, it brings a hearing and that hearing brings us faith and helps us go through the journey that we have to go through. All right. So let's look at how uh, it was summed up with Paul. 
You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. So ultimately, the Scriptures helps us secure salvation. Verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do it right. So the Scripture is very vital in our life. Uh, verse 17, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So while we are attached to the assignment, holding on sometimes for dear life, the scriptures are actually strengthening us and equipping us. And so it actually, the, the Bible says it takes us from faith to faith and glory to glory. So actually we're becoming better every step. We are actually being equipped, being endowed. We are being invested in. All those things are happening when we give way to the scriptures, when we sing the scriptures, when we sing songs that are about the scriptures. We are actually being built up. One scripture says we are being built up in our most holy faith uh, when, we are, when we pray in the Holy Ghost. So, so what happens is while we are attached, we are never the same person we were when we first got attached. We are stronger we're better. To, to borrow from Marvin's strap, I'm better. I'm stronger. I'm wiser. I never would have made it if it wasn't for the scriptures of God, the, the breath of God, if it wasn't for the church that I was connected to, if it wasn't for my pastor and my leaders, if it wasn't for my mom and dad to put me in Christian school. And what, whatever your story is, you were made better. And that's why people who understand this, that's why their praise is so real. One song says, my worship is for real. That's why you have pe people, and especially if you've been around church a long time, sometimes that old church mother would just wave their hand. And they're older, maybe more feeble, but man, you, f you would feel a power just being next to them. You sit behind them, and just when they wave their hand, it seems like the atmosphere shifts and changes. You can have an old church mother who doesn't really sing that well, just get up and pull an old song, and the power of God just hit the house because it's a person who has been equipped all that time. They remained attached to their assignment. They didn't detach, and then the power of God would be there. Even speaking of my, my father, he'd get up on his Sunday, and he'd start off somewhere, and he'd get into 97 rabbit trails and just go here and go there. But, but it's just like it all tied together, and it hit you. You'd be laughing at his stories. You heard the story before. It would hit you in a certain way because he had that fortitude, that power, and that's why us moving after his loss, we, we just can't stick our head in the sand. We've got to uphold that legacy. We were taught to live our vision every day. We were taught to love on our humanity. Our bishop taught us how to do that, how to fight the good fight of faith. We can't quit. Timothy was taught by uh, Paul, fight the good fight of faith. Yeah, I was stoned. Yes, I was put in a jail cell. But when I was in a jail cell, I wrote all kinds of scriptures. When we're reading the New Testament, we're, write, we're reading writings when Paul was in a jail cell. Paul had execution date over his head, and he wouldn't stop. He was preaching in a jail cell, and then he would say, I, actually, I'm ready to go because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but I'm going to stay here so I can be a blessing to you. He was still preaching even though he was suffering. So once you understand that, that God is going to equip you, the last thing you think about doing is detaching. No, the thing you think about doing, I'm holding on. 
I'm holding on even more. Yes, I'm struggling, but I'm holding on. Yes, the devil's tempting me, but I'm holding on. Yes, I cry sometimes, but I'm holding on. Yes, I'm depressed sometimes, but I'm holding on. God's been too good to me. And that's why when the song, the goodness of God, God is played in our church, we stand up and praise. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. Well, has all your life been good? No. No, all my life has not been good, but God has been good, and I still trust him, and I still believe in him, and I still praise for the goodness of God, and I still say God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Well, you're crazy because your child is locked up, and and this is happening. Your friend got cancer, but you don't understand how good God is because I've been so attached that you just cannot make me give up. I can't give up on God. Because God hasn't given up on me. So let's look and move on because I didn't got to preaching. From attacked and assaulted to attentive and assuaged. So we're using the same phrasing, uh, alliteration phrasing, but we're, we're going to show us another side. The side that we're showing, the side that we had been showing is how we are holding on to God. But this is showing really how God is holding on to us. And the reason why it's easy for us not to detach, not so much that we're holding him, it's that he's holding us. And I've told that story before how the, the guy who they thought was going to fall had tied uh, something around himself and it looked like uh, he really held on, but he was actually being held. So from attacked and assaulted to attentive and assuaged. So let's look at these definitions. Attentive Paying close attention to something and assuage means to make an unpleasant feeling less intense. So what actually happens is the more we are attacked, the more attentive God is to our cry. Hear my cry, O Lord, attend unto my prayer. So the more you are attacked by the enemy, the more God is attentive and attuned to what is going on. So let's, let's give a, a perfect example. Let's say I have a member who is battling uh, cancer, and it looks like they're going to come out, but they need help. They need support. What we would probably do, we would probably set up a system to go around the clock. Somebody visit that uh, Deliverance Temple member's room. Somebody go to the hospital, visit them, and we'll, we'll do that until they come out because we know that they can make it. We're trying to be there with them. Then you have another person who has a headache. We're not coming around the clock to go to their house for their headache because the cancer is more severe than the headache. So the more you are attacked and the no more heightened the attack is, the more attentive God is to the situation. So sometimes we need to thank God for the attack because it brings his presence in stronger. See, Job, the Bible calls him the richest man in the East. And we don't really see much interaction between God and Job until Satan said, I want to attack him. I want to come after him. And then it was a heavy attack. But God came in even stronger and took Job to another level. So many times it is the attack that schedules the blessing. So when the attack comes, more attention comes. And so sometimes we want more attention from God but we don't want the attack. Well, if you want more attention, sometimes it's going to come with the attack. So he becomes more attentive, but he becomes attentive with one person, with one purpose to actually assuage, which we'll look at that uh, 
definition again, to make an unpleasant feeling less intense. So when the attack intensifies, he becomes attentive to lessen the attack. That's why people who are going through great attack, sometimes they are smiling the most. Most, And people look at them, they are confused. Like, man, I know what they're going through, but they seem to be smiling more because God is assuaging. And here's another uh, good word for us. He's actually alleviating. He's making the suffering, the deficiency, or the problem less severe. So he's actually stepping in. And we know for surety that Jesus knows how to do that because he suffered on the cross. So he becomes attentive and assuaging and alleviating the more the attack and the assault intensifies. Let's uh, look at scripture from Psalms. Praise the Lord, for he has shown me the wonders of his unfading love. He kept me safe when my city was under attack. So he showed up when the attack came. In panic. I cried out, I am cut off from the Lord. So many times the attack makes us have a panic or a panic attack. But then he says this, but you heard my cry for mercy and answered my call for help. So I was getting ready to go down the path of panic, but God showed up because he heard my cry for mercy and he answered my call for help. Love the Lord, all you godly ones, for the Lord protects those who are loyal to him, those who are attached to him. He actually protects them, but he harshly punishes the arrogant. Oh, now this makes a lot of sense. One of the reasons why God is allowing the attack, because the attack humbles us and makes us have to reach out to him. And then he comes in. See, if you're arrogant and you think you can handle everything by yourself and you don't need God and you don't need church and you don't need a pastor. And some people say, well, I don't need church to be saved. That's true. You really don't. But it really helps. It helps to do life with other people. And sometimes folk are arrogant until they get hit square in the face and they realize, no, I need somebody praying for me. I need a church mother that I can hug and can squeeze me when I'm going through the fires of life. I need a sermon in a church setting. I need to look across the room and see somebody praising. I need to tune in online and to see somebody else say amen at the same thing I'm saying amen in. Yeah, I'm not going to be arrogant about that. I need the Lord's mercy. And when you're like that, the Bible says it's actually the humble who get exalted. Verse 24, so be strong and courageous, not weak and wishy-washy. Be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. So those of you who put your hope in the Lord, even though you've been attacked and assaulted, God says it's okay for you to be strong and courageous. Folk are saying you're broke. Why are you so happy that you're broke? Well, I'm not happy that I'm broke, but I'm happy that the broke won't last forever. Why, why, why are you happy that you're depressed? I'm not happy that I was depressed. I just know depression won't last forever. So I'm actually being strong and I'm being courageous because everything that's being thrown at me, it just can't last because I know who God is and I'm attached to him and he's attached to me. The Bible says it in John 15, if ye abide in me and my word abiding in you, you can ask what you will and it'll be done unto you. So the mountain that I'm looking at Yes, the mountain is there to attack me, but I'm so attached to God and God's so attached to me that I'm actually not waiting for God to move the mountain. I'm going to speak to the mountain and the mountain is going to move. Why? Not because I'm so great, but because who I'm connected to. And that gives me courage and makes me strong. My soul, wait thou only upon God. 
for my expectation is from him. It's the only thing I got to do now is just wait. Just wait on the Lord. One scripture says, wait on the Lord. He shall renew thy strength. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now let's look at verse 6. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. So going from attacked and assaulted to the place where you may even contemplating detaching to going all the way to the opposite side and like, I'm firm. I won't be shaken. I won't be moved. How does that happen? As you just hold on, God encourages you. He uh, embraces you. He blesses you. He does all kinds of things. And then you come out of it stronger than you were before. Or here's a better way to say it. You come out more attached than you were before. You come out, out more attached to the assignment because you were attacked and assaulted. And that frustrates the devil because he ratcheted up. He, he raised up the severity and then you come out better than you were before. The three Hebrew boys, they were thrown in the fire. And then the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar looks and says, didn't we throw three in there? I see a fourth one in there. Number one, it don't care. I don't care how many folk are in there. It shouldn't have been nothing in there. They should have burned up because the people who threw them in there, they got burned up. So not only did they not burn, but Jesus stepped in the fire with them. And when they came out, Nebuchadnezzar said, I don't care what God y'all serve. Y'all need to serve their God because their God is real. So many times we're going into hard times only for us to come out better than it was when we went in. So here's a, a good point that I left with us. I may be attacked and assaulted, but I'm going to stay attached and designed because through the scriptures, I am persuaded. And then we went to this classic verse that I love so much. Romans 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? That covers everything. As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. So what that means is that that was written of our master, Jesus. And it talks about him going to the cross. But the Bible also talks about us taking up our cross and following him. And so we celebrate Jesus because he willingly went to the cross. But sometimes we forget that we have little crosses that we go through. And when we go through them and come out, it's almost us living like Jesus. And so we forget about it because God helps us through it. But when we get to heaven, God is going to be pointing out, hey, you remember when you went through this? This is like you going to the cross and going through the cross and, and all the different powerful things that, that happen in that space. So let's continue to read. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us or detach us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is how we closed. I will not be shaken. I will not be moved. I cannot be detached. 
For I am attached and I am assigned and no attack or assault can ever change that. Amen and amen. That is powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, we love you, we appreciate you, we honor you. We are attacked. We are assaulted, but we have been attached to our assignment, and nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we can love, live our vision every day. So for that, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. We appreciate you. We love you. Stay attached. Stay assigned. And uh, we thank you for tuning in. So have a great, prosperous week. Allow God to touch you in everything you do. And we love you. Signing off. God bless you all.